Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. Today's guest is a nationally acclaimed expert on women, power, and authentic leadership. She has been recognized by Vanity Fair, Glamour Magazine, She Knows Media, the World's Economic Forum, and Forbes, and that's just a short list, for her extraordinary leadership and the work she has done to advance women in the workplace. She is a former president and CEO of Planned Parenthood the author of No Excuses, Nine Ways Women Can Change How We Think About Power, which is when I first met her, right before the book came out. She is currently the co-founder and president of Take the Lead Women, whose mission it is to prepare, develop, inspire, and propel women to take their fair share and equal their fair and equal share of leadership positions across all sectors by 2025 just getting awfully close, by providing breakthrough training, mentoring, and coaching role modeling and thought leadership. She's also a personal friend, one of my sheroes, and a true inspiration. Welcome to the podcast, Gloria Felt. Thank you, Joanne. You didn't mention walking buddy. That's right. I know. But you know, you're in Arizona now, and I'm... I'm I'm still up here in this. Well, I'm now I'm in Jersey City. I'm not as close. I'm not around the block from you anymore. But we can still make that work when you come back to New York and life gets back to hopefully. I don't even know what normal is anymore. I hate even saying that word. But um, I always like to start with asking my guests where they're from. So can you tell us? I'm originally from a small town in Texas called Temple. It's actually gotten to be kind of larger now. But basically, I lived the first half of my life in relatively small Texas towns. I went to high school in a town that's like the last picture show, if you're a Larry McMurtry fan, um, called Stamford, Texas. And then I spent 20 years where I raised my children in Odessa, Texas, which is, uh, as most people know it, is the land of Friday Night Lights. And it's oh. for real. It's for real. It's really like that. My kids graduated <laughs> from Permian High School. It's, uh, you know, that's that that was my life. And um, and then at, at midlife, I, I moved to Arizona to run the Planned Parenthood affiliate there. And, and that's and then and then on to New York. So there we are. There, now, you know, the whole story of my life. I know it's well. It's a great. It's a great story because you did wind up become you at you went from running a small affiliate for Planned Parenthood into becoming the CEO of that, and now you are the co-founder of Take the Lead, and that was in 2014. I can't believe I really have known you a long time. It's been over a decade now. Um, can you talk about how that all came to be? It's such yeah, a wonderful organization. Exactly. It, it like I, you know I. It's so funny that I'm teaching women how to have higher levels of intentionality and plan their lives more intentionally, which is not really something I have been a role model for myself. It's something I'm still trying to learn as I teach. <laughs> but um, so it really what happened is at the end of 30-year career with Planned Parenthood, which seemed like a good round number, I thought that I would be uh, have a quieter life. And I, I had planned to write 
a bunch of books. I wanted to write a whole bunch of books. I always wanted to be a writer my whole life. And um, so something else we have in common. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So uh, it it was, uh, I'm going to just take us back to 2008 at the moment when we thought we were going to have our first woman president the first time. I remember that. I remember that moment. And Elle magazine assumed that because they thought there would be a woman at the top of a major party ticket for the first time, that it was a great time for us to be talking about women in politics. And they thought that that would mean women were running for office all over the place. Well, it turned out the story was women weren't running, that women were half as likely as men to even think about running. And that they, and if they thought about it, they had to be asked multiple times. And then by the time they would finally run, the man was already in office and it's hard to beat an incumbent. So I'm now here. I had been working for women's equality for several decades, shall we say. And it was a shock to me to realize that you can open doors and you can change laws, but that doesn't necessarily change behavior. Mm -hmm. And that really the problem was that women were not going through those doors that had been opened. And so Mm -hmm. I decided I had to figure out why and solve that problem. And that was what prompted me to write the book, No Excuses, Nine Ways Women Can Change How We Think About Power, because in doing my own research, I first noticed that most of the research said women had less ambition than men. And at that time, 2008, there had been some meta studies done that found that women were at 18% of the top leadership positions literally across every sector. Didn't matter. Politics, business, it just didn't matter what it was. 18%, solid. 18%. Crazy. Even though we were half of the workplace, we had been earning 57% of the college degrees for decades. We buy 85% of the goods and services that, you know, we make the financial decisions basically for our families. And um, all of these different things would seem to point in the direction of women using that power, but we weren't using that power. Why? What was the problem? It was not a lack of ambition. I just knew that wasn't true. What I found was it was actually women being socialized to have lower levels of intention, to even think about what we might be able to do. And the reason for that, and it's all socially learned, culturally learned behaviors. I want to emphasize that. It's not hardwired. It's not that one gender is smarter or better or anything else. It is all totally culturally learned behaviors. And women, for good reason, I found, had ambivalent feelings about power. And you can't become a leader. You can't be a leader without being willing to embrace your power, use your power, and understand power. And women have borne the brunt of so much of the negative aspects of power, The narrative of power has been about fighting and wars and, you know, through a male lens. Exactly. All these years, the institutions that we were working in, the businesses, the government, were designed by men for men who had women at home taking care of the kids in the house. That's not even functional anymore. (laughs) With most, you know, most households being two earners or being single parents, or it's not, it just doesn't, it's not remotely functional. And furthermore, we are now in an economy that is based on brains, not brawn. So 
fighting for your little crumb of pie is not going to get you anywhere. Knowing how to innovate, collaborate, create, that's what's going to get you somewhere in this in this economy today. Well, what I found was if I could just help women shift our thinking from that outdated notion of power that's oppressive to a power that really is leadership, the kind of leadership we need today, that is the power to, the power to innovate and create and make life better for ourselves, our families, our companies, the world, I would just like to see masks fall off of women's faces. And they would as opposed like, to that idea of power over, right. As opposed to the idea of power over power. I want to be able to do that. <laughs> so, um, so I wrote the, this book about it, intending for it to just be a book. And other people recognized it as a leadership book and asked me to teach using it. And upon starting to do workshops using what I had put into the book, The Transformation of Power, The Nine Leadership Power Tools, about how you, you know, why there's a problem and then what to do about it, I saw women have breakthroughs that I hadn't anticipated. And so, you know, being basically an organizer and movement builder, I was hooked pretty fast. And <laughs> you were like, oh, forget about writing all those books. I've got something else to do here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, it just, you know, I knew I could do a lot myself, but not that much. You have to mm-hmm. have an organization behind you if you really want to make substantial change. So therefore, take the lead. Anyway, long isn't, isn't that isn't that one of the power tools, create a movement? Creative movement is power tool number seven, as a matter of fact. Yes. Yes. I have read the book probably more than once, actually. (laughs) Maybe just hanging around in your orbit over time. It's kind of gotten into into my into my DNA. Um, There is, you know, it's funny because one of the questions I was going to ask you about this charge that there was around there is around the word power. But it really it's 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 not just the narrative that's being created by other people it's also by what women have created for themselves in that is that what i'm hearing oh that, that's right and the truth is peeling it back power has no attributes of its own it's just energy it's just mm-hmm. you know it's a concept so it's like a hammer you can build something with it or you can break something apart it's all about what you do with it and once you can realize that then it's really easy to embrace that power. But you know, the other piece of it is that a part of our socialization is that women don't value themselves as much as men value themselves. I mean, we laugh about this, but it's really true. I mean, it's, it's a, true. It's true. I mean, I, I, I spoke with the, um, the CEO of ZipRecruiter, uh, you know, a big website where you can put your resume or you can look for a job and you can, or, or employers can look for somebody to hire. They crunched hundreds of thousands of numbers of resumes they got, and they found that for the same jobs with the same qualifications, women asked $11,000 less for salary. Crazy. It's crazy. So when you start with less, you're going to end up with less. And, uh, and it's all about how much you value yourself and what you bring to the table. Yeah, it, it's interesting to me because having, you know, come of age when Gloria Steinem became a household word, sometimes I'm, I'm just amazed that as far as we've come, we haven't come that far. And I see it with, I, I have, I teach graduate students, the majority of them are women, young women, and they're still in that mindset of, I might not be right for this job because I don't have every single box checked. 
And, you know, you, of course, I take all of your work right in there with me. And it's like, no, okay, that's what women do. We think we need another degree. We, we're not going to go there because I don't have all my qualifications. Whereas a guy will be just like, well, you know, I'm just going to go for it and see what happens. And I'll figure it out as we go along. You know, what I don't know, I'll learn. Or, you know, of course, in the case of some men, it's like they don't care what they're going to learn. We saw that with the last four years in this country. But it's just kind of amazing to me. And it upsets me sometimes when I see the young women. And I know you're listening, some of these young women, because they do listen to our podcast. So hopefully you're listening to it through someone else's voice, and as in Gloria Feltz. And I do want to say, I do think it gets better with each generation. Mm-hmm. And as we are as we are helping younger women to understand uh, what it's going to take for them to have the, the careers and the lives that they want on their own terms, they, they're, they're getting better at it. They're getting better at it. So I have a lot of hope. I have a lot oh, of no, hope. I do too. I have a lot of hope too. But it's just kind of surprising to see it. It's like, well, well, well okay, let's, we have to own our stories, which is also a power tool. Yes, that's correct. Tool nine. Tell your story. I mean, I'm not even checking my I'm notes. I you, if, I, if I were to do a test, you would make a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And I'd be happy. So I want to talk about um, one of the goals of, of Take the Lead is financial parity by 2025, which when I first met you seemed like forever ago. <laughs> and now it's getting, it's getting really uh, critical. It's getting really close. Um, we started 2020 with women representing 50% of the workforce, it looked like we were making progress. And then the pandemic comes. And within a few months, I believe more than 2 million women either lost or left their jobs. And now I believe the number is somewhere around 5.5 million with women of color faring the worst. Um, Dr. Nicole Mason has called this a she session. I love that terminology. Um, it's a big setback. I know you've written about this and I know you have opinions about this. So Go to it. Tell us what you think and what we can do to to move this back in the right direction. I mean, the numbers that you cited are spot on. But starting with that, there are two things I would say. Now, I will first of all say there's another power tool, Power Tool 5, which is Carpe the Chaos. Ah. And I honestly believe that in times of great disruption, like the pandemic, that the opportunities are there because things are in such a mess that people have to think differently. They have to be willing to open their minds to new solutions. And some of those new solutions that can help bring women back into the workforce are around, for example, recognizing that caregiving is a social good. It's Mm -hmm. an economic necessity if we want to have a robust recovery. It is simply not going to happen for women or men if we can't deal with the whole caregiving crisis in this country and you know, do some of the things that other countries have already done, which is to provide various levels of supports. And in the current, in the current um, um, I can't remember the rescue bill or whatever it's called. That, that kind of, they change the names all the time. I, I can't know, pay attention. Whatever. <laughs> that, that, that is, uh, is, attempting to start to help this recovery to happen, there are child tax credits that have never been there before. There are, you know, there, there, there are measures, policy measures at a government level that can be taken and are being taken, but also companies can take measures. And look, everybody now knows you can successfully work from home. Mm-hmm. You can successfully have flex time. 
to take care of your family issues and you can get your work done and do it maybe even better in many respects. So um, I think that that the pandemic has shown that we need to be open to more flexible ways of working. And that in and of itself will help more women come back into the workforce. But that having been said, I, I created a hashtag and I know it's a long hashtag. They don't like long hashtags, but I created a hashtag. <laughs> Put women at the center. Put women at the center of the recovery and we will have a robust recovery. And so I, I, we have definitely been set back. There's no question about it. But I do believe if we if we are careful about both the um, public and private policies that we create in this moment of chaos, that we can actually create the kind of workplace that we've needed for a long time. Uh, one that that isn't the hierarchical, um, you know, the kind of the, the dog eat dog kind of workplace where you're rewarded most if you work 24 hours a day and it has nothing to do with whether you even are healthy enough to do the work well. So, I mean, yeah, and people are recognizing that mental health is uh, is is important. People, you know, mm-hmm. there's many things that I think if we if we take this moment, but moments don't last, mm-hmm. we'll have to do something about it. And if we take this moment, it will be a moment of strategic inflection where we can actually make make progress further faster than we have in a long time we can take this setback and use it really as as a forward movement so so we look so we can make sure that there are laws that there's legislation that's going to help this along but what else can we do you know i think that's Mm -hmm. i think that's something that a lot of people in general, and I, it makes me crazy because I'm, I, I'm not one of those people. I'm always like, what can we do to fix this? But they're like, well, I can't, I have no control over that. What can I do? But what can an individual do to help move this in the right direction? And I don't think it's just women. I'm just curious. I think it has to be, we have to have men have to be supportive of this as well. This is a wake up call for individuals because let's face it, we have more than one pandemic going on. We have the economic pandemic, which you've alluded to. And in that, we can help by, if we have the resources to help other people, whether it's with training or, I mean, like, for example, with Take the Lead, one of the things we're doing is we're offering scholarships to women whose careers have been disrupted by the pandemic for, uh, we we have an online version of our course that is a self-directed course. And we're offering scholarships to women who, who, who need them basically. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so we can all, there's something we all have to give. So the first thing we can do is figure out what do we have to give? I mean, maybe, maybe it's to help it with a food bank or send a check or whatever, but it's, th- th- there's that. So there's, there's the disease pandemic, there's the economic pandemic, and there's also the pandemic of racial injustice. Mm-hmm. And it is, uh, it is not new. This is not a new pandemic. But it is a pandemic that finally is so obvious that I, I, I don't see how anybody can not see the injustices, the grave injustices that have resulted in women of color being the most hard hit from the pandemic, uh, being, you know, the lowest paid. They were in the lowest paid jobs to begin with, mostly customer facing or client facing. And those are the jobs that have been cut. 
uh, they, uh, you know, there's no alternative for them. They, they can't work from home uh, <laughs> to, uh, to be a, a checker at a grocery store. It's an possibility. Yes, right. And, and, and caregiving jobs as well. So people can see that. The murder of George Floyd brought it in. Breonna Taylor brought it into total view for everybody. Anybody who can't see it. I mean, the the violence that just happened recently against the Asian mm-hmm. women in Georgia. How can you not see that there is also a pandemic of racial racial based injustice in this country? So so we have all of these things going on at the same time. It's, it's interesting that you it's interesting that you said, how can you not see? Because I was thinking about this earlier and. When the whole George, I've never considered myself a racist person, but when the whole George Floyd things happened, I was like, well, maybe I am. I need to look at this. I need to, I started watching all the movies. I read the books and that's kind of how I looked at it. And what I noticed was that the people that turns out that I knew some racist people, those were the people who couldn't see it. Yes. I couldn't even, couldn't even look to say, well, maybe I need to really take a good hard look. Right. your point is well taken. Your point is well taken. And I guess what I've learned over the years is there will be marginally a few people who you can awaken, but mostly you need to just focus on the people who are already awake. Mostly you need to focus on the people who already get it and are willing to actually step out and do something. And yeah. uh, I mean, I, I, I never disregard anybody because you never know. I mean, I, 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 I will tell you, I, there's a political cartoonist, Steve Benson, and I've never told the story in public before. So maybe he'll hear this because I've been meaning to reach out to him and say, Steve, we need to tell the story publicly. But um, but he, he's a Pulitzer Prize winning cartoon, you know, political cartoonist. He is absolutely fe- probably the best in the country, if not the world. But when I first met him. He was totally, you know, rigidly anti-choice. And of course, I was running the Planned Parenthood affiliate in Arizona and he was the he was working for the Arizona Republic. So like at least once a year, he would he would caricature me as some kind of horrible person. And one of those that just kind of like put me over the edge characterized me as a Nazi. Okay, so I organize, uh, I organize a, uh, and I would talk with him on the, you know, I'd I'd call him up, I'd talk with him and try to kind of have a relationship with him. And it was awful. I I actually organized a, an editorial briefing with the editorial board at the, at the newspaper. And I brought the leading rabbi in town with me. I brought several other prominent people with me to kind of like try to educate them on what was wrong with that analogy. And so at that time, Steve literally turned his back to me, apologized to the rabbi and never said a word to me. Wow. Wait, years later, years later, after I've become national president of Planned Parenthood, people start sending me new cartoons from Steve Benson. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing a completely different outlook on things. And I emailed him and I said, you know, what... (laughs) No, he really, he really thanked me for having helped educate him about, you know, for always being willing to have that conversation with him, I guess I should say. It was Mm -hmm. like, you know, I I was always willing to stay in dialogue with him, even though 
we were diametrically opposed. We, we, we always could, you know, talk to each other. And eventually over time, you know what happened? He kind of had some real life experiences that helped him get more open-minded about women and about life in general. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I eventually, so the, the, the last time I saw him, I, I invited him over for dinner and he literally got down on his knees and apologized and he did, a new, he did a new character caricature of me that is now on my wall. And <laughs> it's just, I mean, I love it, but it's, I love that because, because people can change, but you can't mm-hmm. force it on anybody. You cannot force it. So it's a difficult task to remain calm and remain in dialogue while at the same time focus most of our energies on the people who are already willing to make a change or who have opened their minds and their hearts and are open and appreciate the great, amazing diversity of this country. I mean, that is to me the greatest strength. And I probably agree. because I had four immigrant grandparents who came here to escape oppression. And they love this country beyond anything. And I understand, you know, so I learned from them why. And I, I, I appreciate so much the diversity of this country. And I really do believe it's our strength. So those are the people I want to hang out with. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, but you, you bring up so many good points because the, the climate has been such, and I've caught myself in this, where it's like, I can't even go there because we're never going to have a conversation. But it's, you know, it's kind of marketing 101. Marketing is really about changing conversations and about educating people, especially in today's environment. And if you're doing the right things, then eventually you're going to hopefully get to the right people, especially if you're focused on that core person who is, you know, ultimately in today's world will help to spread your message not just with not just with themselves, but with with right. their connections and their right. their well, groups. That that actually brings me to Power Tool Six, which is wear the shirt. Wear the shirt. That means is wear the shirt of your convictions. Let people know what you believe. What what do you believe so strongly? What value do you hold so much that you'll put it on your shirt and you'll wear it to the gym or wherever you go, and, and, and so that people will know what do you really value in this world. And, um, and so one of the things that in answer to your question of what can one person do, that's something one person can do. Mm-hmm. It's quietly letting the world know what you believe. So if you have, you know, if you have a, a, um, uh, a, a love over hate slogan or a, you know, something like that on your, on your shirt, that sends a signal to people bumper sticker on your car, whatever. But do people still do that? Do people still put bumper stickers on their car? Maybe. I don't know. They don't do up here. I see them. You know, I don't drive when I'm in New York. I've never been behind the wheel of a car in New York ever. (laughs) (laughs) But when I'm in Arizona, I'm forced to drive. (laughs) And you see bumper stickers. Yeah. No, you, you literally mean wear the shirt. You're not, it's not a figurative, figurative tool. It's literally yeah, wear the shirt. My, my favorite, of course, is well-behaved women rarely make history. That's my favorite personal shirt. It's true, though. It's it's true. We wouldn't be any place if it wasn't for being, you know, and we're fortunately, you know, we're living in a time where we can use our voice and we can use it in different ways, which kind of brings me to power tool number eight, okay. which is goes into the whole idea that I, you know, when we go back to the workplace part of it is that, 
you know, women have to be able to market themselves. It, it's, you know, we, I, I hate the word personal branding, but I use it because it's, <laughs> this is what people search for. But that, that whole idea that we have to, we really have to do that ourselves. And you empower tool number eight, employ every medium, personal, social, and traditional media every step of the way. I mean, you wrote that, that was 2008, no, I think it was about 2010 when it got finished. Yeah, mm-hmm. 2008, 2000. I can't remember. I, I can't remember exactly when I met you. Met you if it was 2000 because I left corporate in 2008. I couldn't remember exactly when I met you, but it's, it's more it's more important than ever and more useful than ever. Yes, yes, because we will all be branded in some way, and so, and with social media in particular now, it is incredibly important to think intentionally about what you want the world to think about you. What do you, how do you want to show up? And that is, you know, this is a, this is a a very different world than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago, because we've all got, you taught me to, you taught me to, to check on your own digital footprint every once in a while. That's right. right. You have to, I have to, I have to remind myself about you. <laughs> right. Yeah. See what, see what the Googles and the Twitters and the, you know, what have you been posting? Check on your own social footprint. What, what is it out there that if I didn't know Joanne, and I wanted to find out about Joanne and I started Googling and looking at her social media, what would I think about her? What Mm -hmm. would I think about her? So this, you know, it's like, what do you want people to think about you? What do you want them to know you for? And what are the messages that you want to put out into the world? And I think many people don't think of themselves as thought leaders, but in this world with social media, everybody can be a thought leader because even if your circle is very small, even if it's your own family, you, you can be a thought leader simply by sharing your ideas. It's so funny. I have a blog post that it's not, I haven't published yet, but I literally have in there that we are all influencers within our own communities. <laughs> yes. I, it's so funny that you said, <laughs> I, think you. It's gonna, I think it's going to come out. It'll, it'll be out before this podcast is out, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, it's, it's very true. And that I think it also goes back to knowing who you are. And that goes back to a woman being comfortable in her own shoes because it's easier to use social media or anything else for that matter with intention when you have a strong sense of who you are already. You know, I think it comes across as inauthentic when people think, oh, this is how I should be as opposed to maybe how I really am. Right. So well, so true. Yeah. Yeah. So this has been a crazy year. In case you hadn't noticed, and I know you do a lot of you know speaking and training has been your thing now since I've known you. Um, what's it been like to adapt? How's that been? And what have you done? And please tell you know I think everyone should know more about the courses that you have available. Um, oh, thank you. Certainly, I will certainly do that. You know, it has been it has been challenging in many ways. On on the one hand, take the lead is fortunate because we have always been a virtual organization. We have never had real estate. We have always had people working with us all over the country, if not the world. And so from the standpoint of doing our daily work, nothing really changed. But from the standpoint of delivering the training, the coaching, the role model programs and the thought leadership, that has had to change a lot. We have a we have a number of different programs and I'd like to just tell you 
the different kinds so that you get a so I, so then what I say will make sense. But we we provide the training and coaching and role models and thought leadership program that we do to individuals through an online evergreen self-study course that people can tap into at any time. That's the full nine leadership power tools to advance your career course. So people can, they can jump into that anytime. And that's, that's always available. So that's, that's, we've had been doing that online for a long time, but the, the most impactful program that we have is called 50 women can change the world in. So we've done nonprofits. We've done, media and entertainment, we've done journalism, we've done healthcare, and we have on our on our uh, goals to do tech, finance, entrepreneurship, and several others. Well, we were about to launch the second cohort of 50 women in journalism when we realized we were going to have to pivot everything to virtual. Oh, wow. That program is very dependent upon cohort building building relationships among the participants. And we very carefully curate 50 emerging leaders in a particular sector, people who we, who have been recommended to us as people who can go on to literally change their profession and and bring more women into leadership. So it's very immersive. You need to really get to know people. And in order to do that, we always started out in person for several days. And then we end up in person for several days. And in between, we did a lot of coaching and things that we could do. Uh, that we could do virtually, but I will have to say that we learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> in that, I, I, I would, we, we, we managed to do it. We managed to, we got our cohort together. We ended up graduating 50 women from the program but I could tell that the learning process was just not as robust. And mm-hmm. certainly that cohort did not bond as well as the cohorts of women who have been in person for several days, at least, uh, if not, a, you know, like three and three is usually what we try to do. But in that process, we also learned quite a bit about how to make the virtual space more, more uh, likely for people to form cohorts and gel. So I think as we do it in the future, we'll be much better able to do that. But I know I've spoken with several people who were in it after the fact, who were like, you know, I just had a chance to actually read the whole participant workbook. And, you know, it was actually all there, all that stuff that I didn't think we got. It was actually all there. And and it was. But I have to also remember that we started the program right during the George Floyd murder. Oh, wow. And, and and we ha- we have a commitment to at least fifty percent women of color in our cohorts. So, needless to say, we were you know we were also dealing with just so many emotions and so much. Uh, it was just very hard. And and as a consequence, as a positive consequence of that, we commissioned a review of our entire curriculum with a racial justice lens. And. Oh, wow. And, and frankly, I'm happy to say, for the most part, we were told, you know, it's really quite good. <laughs> we did get some very helpful advice about just even some of the visuals and, and how, you know, how, how beneficial it would be for us to have more visuals of current day women of color who are very successful as mm-hmm. opposed 
Sojourner Truth, for example. You know, <laughs> I always because I, I love her so many of her quotes, so I, I'm always using Sojourner Truth. But but there were you know the it's a point well taken. It's really important because so many women of color are now moving into very successful positions. It's important for us to show those and highlight them. And right. we have a vice president who's a woman. You know, it, there were things like that, that that were very helpful. And we did that. Now, the other thing that we do is we do provide all of these pro- programs and services for companies as well. So we can provide the whole program or we can do shorter workshops, which most of the companies don't, you know, they usually want a shorter workshop. I'm sorry to say that, but they, they need the whole program, but they'll usually ask for a shorter workshop. So we can we can do like an individual power tool. We can make a workshop around that. We have also developed a, a program we called creating we call creating a culture of inclusion. So it's taking many of these same concepts around power and intentionality and so in how we're, you know, implicit bias and the impact impact of implicit bias on our thinking and our, our behaviors. But um, but we're applying it in a way that a company can we can have both men and women in the course and um and we could really look at and help them to create a culture that is more inclusive. And, uh, we, you know, we don't put ourselves out as being the leading experts in diversity um, issues. But that one piece of it, we are. We are the experts. <laughs> we, are, we are totally the experts. We know how to do that. You're, own, you're owning that story, Gloria. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we, know, we know that. And we want to do that. We want to help with that. And then also we do... Um, we do a, a, a very popular workshop on the three powers of leadership intention. Um, we do a very much in demand workshop on my power journey that takes women through their own. It's introspective about your own life and the defining moments in it, what you can learn from that uh, and both good and bad. And uh, and then what what do you want your next phase of your journey to be? So that's a really, that's a very cool one. And then um, I would say that another one that people really have been asking for a lot this past year is, is Carpe the Chaos. <laughs> right. No, I, I would imagine yeah. because that's, that's kind of, yes. that's where we've all been. Yeah, that's been the number one. So we had, you know, we've had to do a lot of pivoting and we've had to do most of our work on half of the budget that we had planned to have. So we, we're basically starting over again this year. We're literally starting over again. There you go. There you go. But people can donate to to help support the organization. Is that right? We'll make sure we have a link to that in, in our show notes. And personally, how has this been? You've been spending most of your time out of New York, I gather. Well, Watch, I would too I, if I had a second place. <laughs> unintentionally. Uh, yeah. We had, we uh, take the lead, did a conference called the Power Up Conference in February, on February 28th and 29th, 2020. Now, let me just say that I was the one who said we have to do this conference on Leap Day because it's such a feminist day. And so, I mean, I had a lot of pushback from my team because we did do it on fairly short notice and I, I realized that. But we pulled it off and thank goodness we did because the next week, all hell broke loose. Everything shut down. I, I mean, you know, it's like life changed. So I, we did that. We had done that conference in Arizona and had not planned to stay here very long. But as it turns out, we stayed here for, yeah, about six months. 
and went back to New York and then came back ostensibly for just for the holidays, the end of the year, and then realized we could get our vaccinations more quickly in Arizona. So we stayed to get vaccinated. Yay! Yay, congratulations. I'm vaccinated too. Everything's good. So we'll be heading back to New York in April, and I honestly (laughs) can't wait. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, it's the city starting to it's starting to perk back up. You can start feeling signs of of, of life again. It was a little a little wild for for quite a period of time. So, um, just before we finish up here, is there any um, words of? You've given us so many words of wisdom, but I always like any advice that you might have to, especially to the young women who are listening in. It could be the older women too, and the men if there's anything you want to throw in for them, but. Um, kind of focused on these young women, because I think they're the ones who are really going to help to get us to the next place? I think, I think yeah, that's that's a really great question. And the thing is, when you, I, I, I was speaking to, um, to women at Goldman Sachs a couple of months ago, and it, it was mostly the younger, I would say they were all under 35. And one of the, one of the questions that they asked me was, you sound so optimistic. What makes you so optimistic? You know, after all what you've been through and after all the battles you've fought, and what, how do you, you know, how are you so optimistic? And I, I really had to think about it for a minute. And I realized that, and this is, a, this is the message I'd like to give to young women, which is that I, I do have the benefit. One of the benefits of age and having done those things is that I can see that you can make the world better. Mm-hmm. I know that. I've seen it. I've done it. I know that doesn't mean it's easy, but I know that there is no situation in which human intelligence cannot figure out how to, you know, how to deal with something. We will we are creating new technology. Look, look, look what we're doing here today, right? Look at you're in Arizona. I'm here and we're having a pocket and we can see each other. And we can see each other. Yeah. So there is at you know. If we use the intelligence that we have, and that's part of the power to optimism, it's there is no limit to what is important in this world. And women have it. We have it. We have it. We have what we need. We have what we need. We just have to know we have it. And so that's what makes me optimistic. It's just that I know at some point it'll be okay. Uh, however bad it is, at some point it'll be okay because we will. I love it. it. I love it. I love ending on a note of optimism. We will figure it out. <laughs> we will figure it out. That's right. We will yeah. figure it out. I love ending on a note of optimism. So, where can people find you? We can find you. It, you're all over the place. Oh, you and yeah, take well, the lead. Yeah, the, book, the books are uh, any books that I've written um, are are any you know can get them through any seller. Um, so, you know, there's some, I haven't written a new one in a while. So sometimes you, you, you may have to put it on back order for a little, but you can get it through all your usual sources, any bookstore, any online bookstore as well. And um, I am writing another book, which will be out in August called Intentioning, where this time I'm going to focus on intention. So I've gone from women's relationship with power to women's relationship with intention. So that will be coming out. I can't wait for that. We'll do another podcast then. I right? was just going to say, we will have to have you back on the podcast. Yeah, we'll do another podcast then. And um, so there's that. But most importantly, find Take the Lead. Our, our uh, website is taketheleadwomen.com, although we're a nonprofit. 
So you, if you did doc, .org, you'd get to us too. But uh, the official one is TakeTheLeadWomen.com. Uh, we also are on all social media at either Take the Lead Women or Take Lead Women, depending upon how many letters they give you. And um, and and I am gl- at Gloria Felt everywhere because I could never remember if I had different handles for different things. So <laughs> the same way and you're I'm making me laugh on this. Yeah, I'm kind of, as you know, I'm kind of a social media fiend. So do yes, find you me. are. Do find me. And I will re- respond. And yes, I'm trying out Clubhouse now, but I'm just lurking. I can't figure it out yet. I was on my first Clubhouse today. We will talk about that after afterwards. There's definitely opportunities for you with your organization there. Not, 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 not a question in my mind. Thank you so much, Gloria. It's been my pleasure, Joanne. And I have to just tell you how lovely it is just to see your face and hear your voice and feel. Oh, I feel the same way. I feel the same way. I can't wait to see you. We'll make a, we'll have a walking date when you come back yeah. to New York. Okay. All right. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note. Info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember... Whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there. Mm